0: If you're an ambitious person, regardless sort of industry agnostic, whatever you're doing, there's a certain place that you see for yourself and right. if you have the drive, you're gonna get there. And a lot of times what you find when you get there is those structures were not built for you. okay?
1: This is what's next podcast with you, Mindy Francis. We're talking business and entertainment today. Let's go. Arij Noor is a writer, producer, political analyst, and entrepreneur. At MSNBC, she produced Up with Steve Kornacki, a roundtable discussion news program. Prior to that, she was with Al Jazeera English. Arich began her career as a researcher for the Brookings Institution, focused on US foreign policy in the Middle East and the Horn of Africa. Her writings have been featured in The Times of India, Gulf News, and the international editions of Vogue and Harper's Bazaar among other publications. She later consulted for the World Bank and subsequently founded Statement Films, a film production and content company for female African creators. What's next, podcast? Welcome the incomparable Arij Noor to the show.
0: So kind you, Mindy. (laughs) (laughs) I mean... These are the receipts. I didn't do it. You did it. It's <laughs> so sweet. Thank you. It's great to be here.
1: I'm Thank so happy you. to have you here yeah. on the heels of uh, Tribeca Film Festival. Yes. Yeah, yeah. So let's get into it. Let's get into it. So much to talk to you about. So thrilled. <laughs> You're a writer, producer, political analyst, and entrepreneur. Wow. Walk us through your professional journey and how you came to start Statement Films. We want to go from like, the beginning. Tell us your journey wow.
0: professionally. So uh, my area of expertise is actually U.S. foreign policy. So I'm a political analyst by training. Uh, I went to school, you know, grad school right out of that, went to go work for Brookings uh, at their first Middle East outpost, uh, their only one actually to date, I believe, in Doha, Qatar. So I moved there in my early 20s, and, you know, I was a researcher for the director there. And, uh, you know, Middle East foreign policy, not exactly, a, you know, a walk in the park. Uh, you know, I did that for a couple of years. Um I definitely sort of expanded our knowledge base at the center in terms of Africa. Um Piracy was really big at the time. You know, this is circa 2009. Right. And basically... I would say within a few months at that job, I kind of knew this isn't, you know, the end for me. This right. is just, I'm just at the beginning of something here. And um, I should say before that, you know, I think I grew up in Washington, D.C. So I think in many ways, my parents groomed me for that life. Um, I come from political families on both sides. Um, First generation American. Both parents are from Somalia. And so, you know, I grew up loving cinema. And I grew up loving independent cinema. And, uh, you know, there was this little independent cinema that I actually just a couple of weeks ago was in D.C. with my father and passed it by. And now it's an AMC. It's been an AMC theater for a long time. But I think I was someone who grew up in a certain political context in the nation's capital. But my heart was always with, you know, the arts and cinema in particular. And I think my mother did a really good job of You know, we didn't have the most sort of vibrant theater scene when I was growing up. But I would go to the National Theater with her and see an Andrew Lloyd Webber play. Or, you know, she would allow me to see films far too, you know, old for me. Nine years old watching Philadelphia, you know, and Poetic Justice. And, um, you know, I remember watching Purple Rain way too young. You know, I think these are all like little funnies now. But I think there was definitely a sensibility that was formed early on. Um, and so, so much of my life when I started my career was really like, these are the things that I love. And when I was very young, they would ask me, what do you want to be when you grow up? And I would say movie director, but then life sort of happens. And now you're a foreign policy analyst, you know? So I think soon into that job, I was like, I don't know that this is for me. I was sort of flipping through channels one day and couldn't find anything to watch. So I decided to create a television show. Now you know it sounds funny now, but at the time I was like, "What else am I doing on the weekends?" You know. So a really close friend of mine in Shanghai, actually, also American Abby, and I created this show called The Sauce. Well, I—I I mean, you say
1: it so flippantly, like, "Oh, we just decided to create a TV show." Someone's like, "Ha!" And how? <laughs> so, well, we'll have to get back to that, but yeah. I'll let you carry on.
0: So, we just, you know, we kind of just were like, this, you know, let's, let's, let's give this a shot. So, we created a show that at the time in 2009 was a bit ahead of its time, but then in subsequent years, it was sort of like a millennial review, right? Okay. And, um, it was called The Sauce, and, you know, we shot a proof of concept in early 2010 while I was still at Brookings. I, you know, went to the States and shot a proof of concept with a gr- group of friends, and, I kind of fell in love with the process. It was very collaborative. It was very imaginative. From a very young age, my mother always said to me, never lose your imagination. So important. It's everything, you know. Um, and I think that that's where I could really see an imagination have a place to sort of play. Um, so essentially, I left sort of policy after that job, uh, went. And now I look back on this over, you know, it's been quite a few years and i'm like what bold you know you're over here creating a tv show and you leave your job to pitch it and but that's really how i learned what this all is yeah you know and and that passion for something will absolutely
1: fuel you yeah you know it's, a, Absol- it's just a recurring thread of everyone we speak to we're hearing like this passion you're doing something outside of the box but it's this passion that drives
0: you to do something that Has you questioning yourself? What am I doing? What am I doing? And this is so hard. And oh, my God, you know, because 24, 25, what do you really know? Mm -hmm. Not much. uh, It turns out, but I did that. Uh, You know, I ended up leaving Qatar. Uh, My mother lives in Cairo. So uh, I was back in Cairo for a few months. And then the Arab Spring starts. So I have this show that, you know, I'm, I'm pitching all over the states and kind of taking trips back and forth. Early 2011, you know, Egypt, the first revolution that I've ever witnessed, you know, we were there for that. Um, I never center myself in that story. My family is an Egyptian. We've had the great luck and fortune of living there for two decades now. And I've seen so much and, you know, have so much love and respect for everything that happened there. Um, and what everyone in Egypt went through. But, you know, I think at that point, because of my sort of expertise, opportunities to write about the politics of it, the gender lens, you know, on yes. the revolution and things like that sort of came up and I was doing a bit of that writing. And then I had the sauce sort of, you know, in the background and um, then I started to dabble in documentary because obviously, the, you know, the the ground was ripe for that where I was. Absolutely. Um And then that led to sort of you know, pitching and doing all of this, coming here and kind of really seeing what it means to create something from the ground up, you know, and not give up on it for two, three years. By the time 2013 rolled around, um, it was time to sort of take another job. And um I started freelancing for Jazeera, not mm-hmm. for very long. And then MSNBC sort of poached me. And, uh, you know, I became a producer of this wonderful morning show. And, uh, you know, the news career started. Right. Very interesting, you know, extremely sort of fast paced life, um, sort of everything I was looking for in terms of just I really wanted something to completely sort of take over my life and give me kind of this, okay, you've made it like you're producing, you're doing this thing that you've, you know, trained yourself and essentially surrounded yourself with these people for years to learn how to do. And I did that, and it was really rewarding. It was important work, of course, you know, the politics of this country are what they are, and I learned a lot, met some really interesting people, got a lot of great exposure at that job. Um, when that chapter was over, I think at that point I was just turning 30, I had just turned 30, and I had been in New York doing all of this, and it was time for me to get quiet and let the mission sort of find me and speak to me in terms of exactly what I was supposed to be doing. Um, I went home to Cairo and uh, my mother is my support system, my best friend, you know, the days when you don't believe in yourself, this person believes in you type of thing. Yes. And I needed that at that point. Yeah. Um, I don't think it's easy for young black women in media. I don't think it's easy for young black women in media in New York. Right. You, Mindy, I think you probably know what I mean by that. I absolutely do. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, there was some healing that needed to take place. Yeah. There was some sort of um, uh, sort of refining of direction that needed to take place. Right. And I, you know, I was freelance writing for some of these magazines and really enjoying that. I'm a writer, I think, in many ways at heart. Um And it was nice to move from political writing to sort of culture writing and writing right. about international cinema, which obviously is my right. great love. Well, you're not going
1: to forget your story. So I'm going to interject here because while I may understand the challenges that you faced as a woman of color in media, you know, some of our listeners would like to have some insights into some of your experiences. So want to get back to your story if you can briefly touch upon like what you felt and why going home felt so important in that moment and nurturing for you
0: you know I thought I've thought a long time about how to answer this question because this is actually the first time I'm telling a bit of my story since I started the company um it's so interesting because it's, it's a version of a conversation I have almost every day but then how do you You know, I think that there are so many, I think when you grow up here, there are worlds and structures that, you know, we are a part of and that we want to be a part of. I think if you're an ambitious person, regardless, sort of industry agnostic, whatever you're doing, there's a certain place that you see for yourself. And if you have the drive, you're going to get there. And a lot of times what you find when you get there is those structures were not built for you. Okay. And I think it's one of those things that people can talk all day long about these things. Certainly now, 10 years later, yeah. uh, 10 years from sort of when I had that moment, uh, there's so much data and there's, right. you know, there's all this awareness and, and and it's a very different time. But I would say 10, 15 or however many years ago, that wasn't the case. So you would be in these rooms and these important rooms with people uh, producing a show or doing what you do, you Mindy. I mean, just like kind of at the height of where you want to be. And all of a sudden, people are looking at you a little bit differently than they're looking at everyone else. And of course, you notice you're the only one in the room that looks like you. Right. And you can hear this story, but until you're in it. Yeah. You don't understand. Right. You know? Right. And, um, and then you realize, you know, it's not this, this is not necessarily a place that's going to give me what I need to get where I know I'm going to cultivate all of the talents you know that you
1: can bring to the table.
0: Absolutely. Not a
1: not a not a petri dish in which you can grow and foster growth at your greatest height. I think height.
0: that's very well said. A ceiling. A ceiling. And I think that, you know, when you're like, well, I have a work ethic that's probably the best none, right? And People like you, you know, you can be all the things you're supposed to be. But uh-huh. somehow, somehow, it's not enough for certain people. And then you look around the newsroom or whatever room you're in and you're just like, oh, I see how this became this way. Right. And I know the type of person who thrives here. Right. Who has ensured the status quo. And you have to make a decision. Right. Um, and I made a decision. And what do you mean by you, mean you had to make a decision to when, stay or to go? To stay or to go. Right. Okay. You know, I think in those, especially in that industry, I'll say, and, you know, I had my time and it was interesting. And, you know, there's bad and good in everything. Yeah. Um, a lot of people who work in, you know, news or just any sort of, you know, they literally start their careers from school, interning there, and 20 years goes by and they're still in the same building. Fair, understand. Uh, I think that was, you know, what I mean. Yeah. So I think it's not just being black and being a woman. It's being international. It's being multilingual. It's being Muslim. Whatever you want to, you know, whatever that different thing is, the truly what your what I learned, your gifts and your superpower and your strengths are, they will be held against you in certain in certain quarters of this world. And right. I think it's so hard when you're young and you haven't experienced it before, right, to recognize it and name it that took me time yes but once i was really secure in exactly what happened and who i am i mean statement films is the product of that
1: i'm hearing that and everything you just said truly informs you know where you are today. And I think it's just an absolutely lovely story. And I'm so happy that you gave us that of course. reference right there in that moment. So let me try to remember where we were. We had, you had just, you'd gone back home to Cairo with mom and she's nurturing you, yes. and encouraging you. And you were writing. at a place, writing, mm-hmm. place of quiet, so to speak, so that you can figure out what's next and right. have what's next come to you.
0: Exactly. I think it's so important to... I don't think that can be overstated. You know, right. I think uh, talented people are talented people. There's any number of things that you could do, you Mindy, right? Yeah. But where your story and the mission meet is sort of the, you know, that's that's the magic. That's what you wait to sort of be whispered to you. And I think that there was a certain... You know there was a certain experience at that point and I think by my early 30s and having the freedom to write and create again was so huge for me um that I just was like okay you've always loved this industry you've always known that this is what you wanted since you were a small child and I and I try to keep as much of who I was as a child around at all times I do too
1: those same dreams those that same. you had. It's so important to hang on to that little person yeah. and
0: that dreamer Yes, that you had as a kid. Absolutely. I have a photo of myself as a baby as my screensaver on my mobile. People are always like, oh, my God, you're a baby. I'm like, me, baby. Me, baby. <laughs> I'm the baby. Yeah, I'm <laughs> the baby. Um, but I, I think that at that point, I was like, it's now or never. Right. And so COVID hits. At that point, I had started writing. So I moved from just career wise, political writing to sort of culture writing. Okay. Writing about cinema, writing about artists to scripted writing. Uh, it just felt like something I was interested in doing. I saw that sort of emerging markets. I, you know, I think I could see where the industry was headed in terms of streamer money coming in, in terms of a, an awareness, in terms of where global cinema was sort of in the mid 2010s. Um, a lot of incredible films being made, a lot of directors sort of emerging and, and really just parts of the world that we hadn't really heard from at that level on that sort of global stage becoming more known to us through cinema. And so I said, okay, there's something here. I'm going to actually... That's how I do things. I like the sauce, that show that I created, Mm -hmm. right? I learn by doing. Right. So essentially, I learned how to... I started to learn how to write shows, like scripted content. And I started to develop a a couple of those shows with some producers in LA and that whole thing. And how did you learn? So I had... I mean, I, I, I'm i a firm believer, and I've said this before, and some people might disagree, but I think if you can write, you can write. Right. I don't really think, you know, certainly, yes, there are some people who are better at this or that, but I think a writer is a writer is a writer. So okay. I, I kind of used that as my, let me give this a shot. It's a creative art. It, it, yeah, exactly. And um, I started to develop a couple of shows, Um, and I was really enjoying it. I had collaborators sort of all over that I was doing that with and then by 20 i would say 2017 2018 uh, of course me too you know happens and uh i think for our generation that was just a watershed moment right i think right. that was huge um in the same way that black lives matter is huge right those two movements in many ways sort of define i think mm-hmm. a lot of a lot of what we know and how we know right now yeah and I just thought to myself, you know, my mother is a huge, um, a very, you know, highly regarded women's rights activist, global political strategist, right. who's been working around the world in that field for over three decades. So it's all I ever knew her to do and be. And so in many ways, at that point in my life, especially being back home, I was thinking about what is a way to honor the childhood that I've had? And to honor our relationship and the things that bring me life and that affirm my life force and my creativity, but in a way that how can I speak to her through my own medium? How can I put our work in dialogue? And I think it was something where I was like, okay, I know I want to do something with women and I want to do something in film. But she was definitely one of the people who was like, but what else? You know, what else? What does that mean? You know, and it's like, well, well, well. And then by 2018, 2019, I had landed on, I'm going to take this all the way home. You know, I think my grandmother is the greatest storyteller I know. She can't read or write, but she is the most brilliant, 90-year-old, just fascinating, entertaining. I think that sort of I just really wanted to connect with the women in my family and I wanted to, I wanted to do something that my mother would sort of understand. And in the sense that I wanted to bring a lot of what she's brought to me, but through my own lens. So I started the company. It's such a beautiful story. (laughs) Go ahead. (laughs) Um, so I started the company in early 2020. I knew that I really, really wanted to support African women, directors, <clears throat> writers, uh, creators of show content. I knew that, you know, at that point, we had seen there were a couple of watershed years. So 2018, you had Winuri Cahu's, right. uh, Rafiki in the uncertain regards section at Cannes. Later that year, I believe at Toronto, Genevieve Naji's, uh, Lionheart gets sold. Um, for a great number, especially for the continent. Um, 2019, Maddie Diop's Atlantique gets the second highest award at Cannes, the Grand Prix. So, you know, there was a lot of movement. And at that point, I was also, I was really consuming a lot of, I remember Jade Sola, Osibero's film, Isokan, so I loved so much. You know, just a lot of really good South African, Nigerian, any African cinema sort of I could get my hands on. I was in it. I would be on an Emirates flight. I'm watching African films. There was sort of like a re-education sort of happening, a cinematic one that was very current that informed what I wanted to do. Right. So statement sort of came to life from there. And, um, you know, it wasn't easy. <laughs> it's, hard. it's still so hard, but it's entrepreneurship, you know,
1: yeah, I mean, that's to be expected. Yeah. But we'll get into that. I want to hear about the challenges and why it's so hard and so forth, but um I enjoyed hearing how you arrived to launching this wonderful platform in the most beautiful way. Thank you. You know, it's Thank so much passion and heart and soul in 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 this story. Thank you, Mindy. So you're you wanted to particularly focus on African creators? Why?
0: You know, I think that, that, you know, there's so many different answers I can give you. I think, uh, first of all, I think globally, there's no sort of disputing that people of the motherland, all of us, Africans and the diaspora, all of us together are the most creative people that have ever walked this earth. This is not this is indisputable to me. And I think that, you know, there's there's a certain way that I grew up around storytellers and Somalis are poets and, you know, lyricists and extremely just sort of artistically always sort of ahead. And that isn't the Africa that I heard about growing up in this country. So there was always this sort of uh, chasm between What I grew up understanding being African meant. And when I go outside my door, growing up here, what Africa meant sort of culturally growing up, the perception, Mm -hmm. you know, the perception was, uh, you know, you know, we grew up in the eighties and nineties with the famine commercials. And I think culturally that, that is what to many people, Africa was, right? It was hunger. It was war. Mm -hmm. It was poverty. What we now call poverty, poverty porn. You know, and so I I've always felt, you know, there's something really unjust about that, obviously. And I'm obviously a political analyst, so I know why. Right. uh, That's the case. And so I think by that point, I just was like, I think it's I think it's her time, her being Africa. I think it's her time and I want to play a role and let's see what that looks like. Right. You know, so that's why.
1: Amazing. Amazing. So, um, boy, I'm not ready to jump into this next question, though. We're in such a, hmm, but I will. So Statement Films recently secured a significant investment yeah. from Magic Johnson, Samuel L. Jackson, and his wife, LaTanya Jackson. How does it feel to have your vision actualized in, uh, by such major power players in entertainment?
0: I'm grateful to God um, I believe that you know. I'm a believer. I am, I'm. I'm. I think I lead with gratitude on this question. I think to be so fortunate. Um, and I should say, even just backing up before sort of involvement and statement. Um, Auntie Latanya and Uncle Sam are my family. So they've known me for decades. And you know, their daughter Zoe is my best friend. And you know. So they are my family and mr johnson i met through the jacksons and he is you know dear 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 to me i've known them for years i think i've always felt so supported by this group of people auntie and uncle met me when i was very young and um you know every conversation was a welcome conversation my curiosity about the industry was very welcome um I said in my personal post with the day that the announcement was made about the investment a couple of months ago that, you know, to be under the shade of the Jackson tree for the last couple of decades has been one of the greatest gifts of my life. Um, They're very special to me. Mr. Johnson's also very special to me. I think so. I will start there and say that it's a personal relationship. Right. Um. Now, in terms of how they got involved in Statement, that's a funny one. So we were actually on vacation. It was a big group of us. Uh, I think this is end of 2019. We were in the Caribbean for the sort of New Year's, post-Christmas, just a week. And um, I just remember, you know, everyone kind of knew, my friends at least knew like the kids, you know, the right. younger people what I was up to and sort of what I was looking into doing. And, oh, Arege is going to like kind of pivot to Africa and do this stuff. And uh so we were on vacation. I just remember Mr. Johnson, you know, towering, you <laughs> know, and just even just as a person, very commanding per, uh, presence. And it's like, what are you looking to do right now? You know, like very pointed. Like, what is it that you want to do? And I was like, well, I'm starting this company, I think. You know, I think I'm going to do it. And I think I was like 35 at the time. And, uh, and then I think over the course of the seven days together, the, the group, it was like a few different families on the trip asking all of us, you know, that were on the trip, you know, what do you want to do? And so over the course of seven days, like more and more sort of shared about my vision and what I see and also what I, what I, what I can't see yet. Right. I was very open about just sort of the fear of really going for it. The amount of support that I was shown, uh I still am wrapping my head around it years later because I don't know if it weren't for that trip. I don't know sort of where, like, you know, how yeah. things it was definitely. I believe I look back on it as one of the most important sort of periods of my life, those seven days. I think it was something very beautiful about just a generous, kind, visionary Um, group of people who have done everything there is to do in this life already um, who are the hardest working people I know looking at me and saying we care yeah we want to know here are a couple of things to think about and keep us posted right so that's really how it started
1: beautiful beautiful yeah so you're very passionate obviously about supporting women of color while also championing Them with your Statement Films production company. Tell me why it's so important for you to create a company that specifically sources and develops films and content by African women.
0: There is no... I mean, the amount of talent on the continent right now, and women are leading the charge, but men too, is explosive. Largely untapped, but changing, even just by the standard of, like, the last can that we just saw a couple of weeks ago. Right. African filmmakers are rewriting sort of the African narrative as we live and breathe right now. This generation of auteurs is, I think, the greatest generation of African auteurs yet. Uh, we are luckily involved with some of these amazing, amazing filmmakers at Statement. Uh, sort of putting together a pipeline and an ecosystem of this talent has been one of the greatest joys of my life getting to know these women, getting to know the stories they want to tell, and then being able to support that however that we can. Yes. Um. And And hopefully and definitely seeing some of these projects through to the screen. I think African storytelling country to country is very unique. I don't think a lot of people have exposure to the amazing sort of particular creativity that comes from these places. To the stories that no one's heard from these places, just simply because there hasn't been an avenue, there right. hasn't been a path. Um, That's something that I think a lot of us in this country understand. Um, and women, why not? Right. Why not? You know?
1: Beautiful. So... You started Statement Films, as you just mentioned, in January of 2020. How challenging was it to create this unique company right before the pandemic that impacted everyone globally? And how did that affect your process? You know, it's funny. Where were you? I know. You know, how did you connect? (laughs) You're
0: developing content with African women. How? (laughs) It's interesting. So I quarantined in Egypt. Okay. I was in Cairo. You know, COVID was COVID, and we're still trying to understand all of We Like, we're yeah. still not all the way sort of, we don't have enough perspective yet. We're all, I think, trying to process. Um, I think it's a funny answer, Yumundi, because I don't know. <laughs> it's a bit unique. I think I had access to some great talent because of COVID, to okay. be honest. How so? You know, when I was putting together the company, obviously getting a business plan together and all of these really at the time intimidating sort of firsts um, that are the rite of passage when it comes to being an entrepreneur, um, people were at home. So you had all these amazing grads from Harvard Business School, Stanford, you know, the internship fell through, going home to quarantine, kind of have some time for the next four months. I don't know that that would have been the case even the next year. Right. Uh, there was some kind. There was something interesting happening in terms of availability of people. Um, I think people needed something to be excited about. You know. Yeah. I think. Um, to look forward to something to look forward to. I think inspiration is inspiration. You know, and we're all constantly looking for it. It's a lifeline. Uh, so I had access to some incredible people that came in, were consulting, and helped me put together the blueprint of the vision, the 1.0. Right. So it wasn't easy, but for some reason, I felt that in certain ways the skies were really open in 2020, yeah. Got it, got it, got it. So what
1: advice would you give to women of color looking to pursue a career in the film industry?
0: Surround yourself with people who... Understand the creative process, who are not afraid of those who make decisions that are maybe a little different. Surround yourself with people that are excited by your ideas, who want to hear about them, whose ideas you want to hear. Um, keep negativity very, very far away from you, including the people who bring that to you. Right. It's not the time to be around them when you're creating. It's a very vulnerable place to be. It's a very beautiful place to be. It's a spiritual place to be. Treat it that way.
1: Got it. Got it. Got it.
0: So what does a typical day in the life look like for Arish? <laughs> <laughs> oh, you mindy <laughs> I was like, am I, you know, I'm like, oh, should I say the whole I'm up at five and <laughs> meditate, I read three books, I make breakfast for the kids. Uh it really depends on the day. Yeah. And I think the best thing I can do for myself, for my team, for everyone that I have to deal with is to make sure I'm as rested as possible to make the best decisions possible. If I'm up working, I think when I was so part of the reason that I had to move back, many reasons related to statement, but in Cairo, you're on, you know, LA is nine hours, 10 hours this thing. behind. So I was up all hours of the night for years at the beginning of this thing and it gave me chronic headaches. Um, trying you know, to keep up
1: with all the time zones. Trying to zones. keep
0: up with the time zones and making yourself, you know, because you're like, I have to be available. It's okay. I'll stay up till one. I'll stay up till 11. Uh, that didn't work. And now that I'm here, it's much easier. But I would say take care of yourself, whatever that looks like for you. Right. It's different from person to person. And um, I tried, you know, mornings are quiet. Mornings are still. But I still have some work to do in terms of like when I take the phone and I, you know, undisturbed all the emails coming in and there needs to be a separation. I think a lot of people say this between your first moments awake and, you know, dealing with the grind that's like waiting for you on these devices. I think I need to kind of be a little bit better about Let me have at least 30 minutes to myself, you know, so I'm I'm working on it is the answer.
1: I think everyone's a work in progress. Some people just excel at it, but I think everyone's having a work in process and trying to adjust with this, what this new normal is after a period of some folks working from home, some folks going back to the office, hybrids and so forth and so on. And then- living and traveling internationally if that's what your work and business
0: requires. Exactly.
1: So with regard to Statement Films, what kind of projects are you inspired by? Like what are you looking to create and what excites you about the vision of the company? What is the vision of the company?
0: So, you know, initially, the, the the initial vision of Statement Films was very simple. It was to bridge the gap between the market and African women writers, creators, directors, both on the continent and in diaspora. We are actually going to relaunch, I expect, next week from Statement Films into Statement, which is going to be a media company with an editorial offering. Um, Statement Films will become the TV and film vertical and then we'll have a creator studio which positions african creators for brand partnerships. How fantastic. Thank you. Yes, we've been working on this for over a year. I think when I raised the initial pre-seed round, so last year in 22, I knew that my investors gave me a mandate which is, you know, we understand the vision but Clearly, and we know this, a production company does not necessarily a company make. Where is this thing really going? You right. know, what is the opportunity to scale? What are you know? What is going to reveal itself to you? As I say, you know, and I think that there are so many lessons we've learned as statement films, um, doing that work in film and TV, and really developing these ecosystems and 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 building out talent pipelines of women creators and. And and going to the streamers and dealing with the media companies and really get it trying to get these projects made and seen and read and um, I think early on, for instance, and this kind of directly relates to what we're doing in terms of the relaunch and and what we're relaunching into, you couldn't even find data on the African film industry. It was a bit of a joke, you know. A few years ago, you would go in just to get basic numbers on right. how films have performed uh box office, what the budgets were? Nothing. I had film data analysts from London to LA saying to me, this is a chronically understudied area and good luck
1: there's because no someone set. should do
0: this. Yeah. Someone needs to do this. Right. And then you talk to, of course, many experienced producers before I ever got into this on the continent. Hey, like, what about this? Like, who has this data? There's a little here. There's a little there. It just wasn't really there. So what we did is we just kind of pulled up our sleeves and created it ourselves, right? And built the first, largely our first business model from that work. Um, I think when you look at the overall sort of media ecosystem on the continent, including film and television, it's a lot of the same challenges. But in the last few years, there is a lot more data available just because, you know, Africa is up and Africa is what's next and what's hot and what's happening right now. So... There are opportunities that we were able to kind of – that kind of found us because of what we did with Statement Films in terms of, you know, what's missing here? Right. What 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 is it going to take for us to have a more comprehensive entertainment ecosystem on the continent and working for its diaspora members, you know? Right. So the new company it has an editorial offering with micro insights, actually, micro data sets that we're going to be publishing on the site. And it's going to be the first trade publication that covers the African entertainment industry. Amazing. We're very excited about that. The existing statement films will be the film and TV vertical, So that's not going to change. Statement films will be film and TV. And then we're going to have a creator studio that positions, you know, that's really in a position to sort of discover and break the next sort of big African creators, because we've been seeing that already, right. and position them with brand partnerships. You know, the biggest TikToker in the world is a Senegalese, Italian, you know, Kaby Lame. We, Of course. You know, <laughs> Elsa Majimbo. I remember following her in early COVID and now look at her with her partnerships and everything she's doing. So... It's a very exciting time for filmmakers and creators of TV, but it's also an exciting time for other creators from the continent and people who want to say things a little bit differently.
1: I'd love for you to define creators because I'm sure there's someone out there listening and very excited to hear that there is a platform that is focused on recognizing them and seeing their talent and representing them. You know, and so Absolutely. creator, uh, cr- the term creator can be so broad these days. Of so course. what do you mean by creators
0: for our listeners? You know, I think if you are a creator of any content, really, are you, what are you passionate about? Food? You know, you're creating good content about these amazing dishes that maybe you learned from your grandmother, from the continent. Um, you like to kind of go around restaurants from different African capitals and see what's hot, what's not you have an audience that you're growing, this is your thing, you love it, whether you do that in beauty, uh, whether you are literally reviewing films and that's your passion. Uh, I think we take a wide lens when we're looking at what we mean by creator because right now, like we live in a creator's world and the fact of the matter is no one type of creation is more important than another. I right. think it's, it's really about building infrastructure so that the right creators can find the right opportunities. And as a historically disadvantaged sort of people and part of the world, because of the work that we've done on the TV and film side, there are huge opportunities for us to be a part of creating that infrastructure, to get African and diaspora creators the partnerships they deserve, the exposure that they need, and the ability to make a life doing what they love creating great content. Amazing. And what is
1: the unique proposition? What is your long-term vision and goal in creating this entity?
0: Wow. You know, I think a lot of what's available for audiences interested in Africa, which of course includes us, right? The diaspora, people on the continent, reading about ourselves and sort of the act of doing that and understanding ourselves through what is out there. There's not a ton out there. Right. Um, I think, you know, comparable sort of projects, shall we say, are a bit down market. Right. Not worthy of the creativity that is emerging from the continent right now. Simply unworthy. Uh, And I believe in worthy. Right. Because we are worthy. And I think the work that we sort of traffic in speaks for itself. Amazing.
1: You know? Well said, well said. So what kind of films and projects are yeah. inspiring you today? You mentioned some, of course, some of the wonderful films that received awards in, you know, at various film festivals and so forth. But what are you looking to right now? Like what's next? What, what excites you in the space?
0: So I, I think on the film side, we tend to gravitate as a team to toward auteur led work. Um, A a director, a writer-director that really has something just incredible to say in a uniquely African context that we have not seen before. Um, There are a couple of projects that I'm thinking about right now that I can't exactly talk about. But um, I think a lot of what's emerging right now uh, is just so... Because the the sort of the channels to get things made are finally, you know, diversifying and increasing and there's more money interested in getting things made, you're starting to see people take chances and right. to really say things that maybe they wouldn't have before. Uh, I think we're seeing as a company, we've really enjoyed whether we're getting pitched or getting involved in a project, the queer sort of stories coming out of the continent right now are just varied and beautiful. And this is, you know, this is not exactly a group of countries that have, that has had the easiest time when it comes to LGBTQ rights. And I think um, cinema is a very beautiful way to tell a lot of these stories. Uh, we tend to gravitate towards filmmakers whose voice, voices are sort of, you know, they cannot be replicated. You know, this is someone whose unique take And whose filmmaking style and whose script is just so incredibly their own. And just the fact that we've seen one, two of these already says to me, I mean, you show some, you know, people, for instance, one script that we, uh, that we're working on right now. People around the world read this thing and are like, we've never seen anything like this before ever. And you're like so proud because you're like, this is a story that's set in a very small community in X country that you've never been to and you might never go to. But there's some kind of a universal truth through this specificity, through this one community that you only see in your dreams until you see the film made right. that is speaking to you so, so wholly and so clearly. Yeah. Uh, that's really what excites us about what we're seeing on the film side.
1: That's incredible.
0: That's incredible. You know, yeah. it's it's really, really, really just – I'm so excited for you all to kind of see um, just what comes next.
1: Well, I'm, I'm t- excited to see all of these projects roll out, you know, and, and the media platform and mm-hmm. all of that. I know. it's and, and the fact that there's a data set actually being developed and that yes. you're at the forefront of this.
0: Yes, you, Mindy. Micro insights are very important. (laughs) They are, you know, developing intelligence. And, you know, this is how a people, you know, the work that we produce is essentially they ultimately become the stories that we tell about ourselves. Right. So it's really about creating an infrastructure and an ecosystem that's worthy of those stories. And I think if that is the goal and that is what we wake up and try to do every day at Statement, then... We've had a good day. Yeah. You know? So who inspires you? I mean, my mother, you know. Uh, I once was I once watched a Hollywood round table, Hollywood Reporter roundtable, where this amazing, you know, huge director was asked the question and he said something like his mom, and the interviewer was like, We don't know her, like give us another (laughs) answer. And I just remember watching and feeling like that interviewer really didn't get it (laughs) because it was a profound answer. Right. Uh, my mother. Yeah,
1: and this is a profound answer. You've given us a profound story, you know? I wanted to ask, but it was pretty obvious in this conversation. Oh, my God. Absolutely. So for those looking to work with your company statement films, what are some of the things that they should consider before submitting their work for consideration, or what's
0: the process? I would say a well-developed pitch, you know, and that's something that we've worked with many creators on, right? Um, development support in general on the continent is not where it should be. And that's part of the ecosystem that we obviously are trying to really work on, beef up. Um, I think a really sort of well thought out pitch, something that the, the creator themselves feels very personally invested in. Right. There have to be stakes. Yeah. In a story that you want to tell because it's hard to do. So, if you have that, I think you have sort of the first two building blocks. Okay. And I mean, our information, you know, we're on our social medias out there. We're very responsive. I like that about us. You know, we, I think we've, I mean, I hope no one hears this and is like, actually, you didn't respond to me. But <laughs> we, you know, as far as I can tell, we were very responsive because. When you're dealing with an emerging market like this, that's part that's part of the job, right? That's the gig. You have to extend a hand as much as you can. Um, even if it's just at the very beginning, keep going with that. Right. Keep going with that. And ladies, if you're listening, keep going with that. Yes. Yes. Absolutely. So what
1: do you think is next for African women behind and in front of the camera?
0: Glory. Absolutely. I mean, just literally the sky Period. is where we walk on. <laughs> I mean can. We're seeing the second film helmed by an African woman up for the Palme d'Or, right? Ramata um, with her film. And I think we're seeing more and more Africans just on those, you know, at the big festivals with the support of major producers who are ready, to, more ready to write checks than they were a couple of years ago. I think that Again, I would argue African women lead the charge. Our men are also doing, you know, all of our people are doing incredible things, but I just honestly think that this is the beginning of a new era. Yeah. And I'm, you know, even me, I'm bracing myself for it because I just don't think we've, we've been here before.
1: Well, your excitement is definitely emanating.
0: It really is.
1: <laughs> I can see that. So. It's been so wonderful talking to you. You too. I mean, I cannot wait to see the, your rise and rise and all the lives that will be impacted. It's so important for a creator to, you know, have the opportunity to put their work out into the world. And there's so many barriers to entry for any creator, right? And so I love that you've created this platform It was born out of your own personal struggle, obviously. And um, it's just a beautiful thing to see.
0: Thank you, Mindy. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for taking the time
1: and for having me. We love having you here. So how can folks find Statement Films? You can find us at Statement Africa on Instagram. Amazing. Amazing. Well, we'll be watching you. Thanks so much, Adige. This is What's Next podcast with you, Mindy Francis. And that's our show today. It's a wrap. (laughs)